and they all couldn't give me a very clear distinction of what it is, which is kind of sad in sports, right? <laughs> One of the most honorable things that we're supposed to teach athletes is honor, right? Firefighters know what it is. Special force operators know what it is, right? So, I mean, the distinction I was taught honor is living up to a code of behavior in which the concerns of the group come before selfish concerns. Let's start recognizing that and playing with it. Let's start teaching it. Let's start getting guys to display it, right? See what happens. That's a behavior that other people want to be around. Other people build trust when that happens. But most people don't have a pure distinction of honor. So how can you really teach it? How can you really plaster that on so- in someone's mind over and over and over again to where it becomes second nature that they know what it is and they recognize it in somebody and they recognize when someone's not doing it on the team and they correct it? Right. These are these are the things where we can influence wins and influence behaviors and influence the quality of someone's life for a lifetime. This is what sports is supposed to do. Like I said, 30 million kids playing recreational sports. You're either a transactional coach. What can you do for me? Quid pro quo. Right. (laughs) Or or you're a transformational coach. That was Scott Prohaska. And you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. It's awesome to have you guys here. Um, You're in for a really good show. We've spoken uh, quite a few episodes on this show, especially recent ones. I'm sure I'm probably going to keep saying this in these pre-rolls. It is the theme is just getting, um, getting outside the box, moving beyond just physical qualities. If you are in a person who trains athletes for physical qualities and getting into the mental side, the emotional side, the creative side and innovative side, uh, the decision-making side, trying to move into um, a multidisciplinary approach to making uh, the experience for the athlete the best it can be to bring them to their highest potential. Scott Prohaska is someone you may have not heard of uh, in the online space. He may not be someone who shows up when you're flipping through your Instagram feed, but he is one of the wisest and most holistic coaches that I know. Uh, Scott is distinguished as a nationally recognized sports and executive performance consultant He runs his performance center out of Los Angeles, California, and he works with a wide range of athletes from scholastic all the way to professionals of the highest levels. Uh, Scott is a guy who has traveled the globe studying with leading experts in not just physical preparation, but many realms of athletic and human performance, including uh, ex-phys, kinesiology, biomechanics, strength, nutrition, uh, mental training, emotional training, leadership and many other uh, elements, as, as we'll get into today. Uh, through Scott's years of coaching, he's learned uh, and learning from these leaders, he's developed the six lanes of high performance. These six lanes, which are psychology, sensory motor, technical, tactical, physical prep, recovery, or recovery and restoration. Uh, these six lanes, to me, are something that is such, um, it, it, it'll change your life as a coach. <laughs> In talking with Scott, it makes me so excited to train people. Not that I wasn't already, I always am. But just to, you think of all the ways that your own own impact as a coach can have an impact in the life of a young or uh, older seasoned athlete. Uh, It's it's such an opportunity, it's such a privilege to be able to coach and work with athletes. And so I'm really excited to bring you this show with Scott. In addition to him talking about his background, um, the six uh, the six lanes and how he came up with that, and his le- his mentors and his experiences and why that's important, he's also going to talk about eleven leadership tenets that he teaches. You just heard one in the pre roll there, honor, that get woven into 
every session that athletes are participating in with Scott. So this is an, uh, an episode that gives you, gives me an opportunity to become much more than just an instructor of weights or or skills or whatever whatever your coaching position is. To me, this show isn't just about uh, strength coaching. It's about coaching. It's about an opportunity to change lives. And Scott is an epitome of the person that we, a person that we uh, want to be listening to when it comes to that opportunity. So let's get on to it. Episode 214 with Scott Prohaska. Scott, welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you here, man. Uh, thanks, Joel. Well, it's uh, something that myself and my whole team, we listen to you guys all the time on, on Just Fly Sports. It's kind of it's kind of requirement for anybody that works for me to listen to your podcast. So, well, well, thank you. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. I mean, I know every time we've talked or I've I've just more and more intrigued by what you do, because I know you're not like you're not all over social media. You know, you're not you're but and talk. I'm just like I am so I, I wish before I left California, I could have stopped by. And yeah. I'm really excited to to chat about your your insight into your system and how. So before we get into that, I'm curious too. Like, and I and I like getting into this for especially for people who have who see things in such an expansive way. But what was your gateway into coaching? Like, what got you interested in it? And then what were some really big milestones in changing the way that you thought about your process? Yeah. Well, first, you know, quick Reader's Digest version is. Uh, I was a pretty good athlete growing up back East, right. And had scholarship offers and was fortunate enough when I was in eighth grade to walk into the YMCA, find the little dungeon part where all the tough guys and athletes were working out. And in there was a level five Olympic lifting coach and saw me with my little fitness books working out and said, Hey kid, come here. I want to teach you how to really train. And when I was in eighth grade, I started training with professional athletes, Olympic athletes, learning how to snatch, clean, squat, sprint, hurdles, everything. So it was an amazing experience for a young kid to be pulled into that kind of culture right away and be taught properly. And then after college, you know, went into finance world and business world and was kind of miserable. But I was always getting fathers and, and guys I played college football with calling me going, Scotty, you knew so much about this stuff, you know, help me. I got, I got a contract or my kid's close to a scholarship. What can you teach them? And I was doing it on the side and just fell in love with it and, and started growing it and saw a business opportunity and then got called by a sports med guy in Toronto, liked the work I was doing and went up there and started running his clinic and working with NHL guys and Canadian Olympians and stuff like that. And it just grew from there. It was kind of an organic way of loving it as a young, young kid, being lucky to have someone mentor me and saw how it changed my life and then fell into coaching. I feel like you're not the, uh, for some reason, the finance and I didn't like it. And then I got into sports performance. I feel, I've heard that story before. I know Max Shank was on here. and had that too. And I feel like I've heard others. Maybe, uh, do you feel like that, that like systems kind of thinking, or do you think there's any thinking in finance that is helpful for sports? Per- or is it just maybe coincidental with you? Or I, well, I, don't know. I'm just I, I, I think it's, I think it's for competitors you know, we always want to look at measures of success and and that's kind of a natural thing until you realize, you know, I work, I work hard to get something and I realize I don't like it when I get here, that might not be success, but I think finance is a challenging uh, competitive field and, and, you know, with detail and and all these little nuances you can take. And I think that attracts people to, to feel that want to feel successful. Right. 
And then you realize you're sitting in front of a computer all day long. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes sense. I, so you're speaking of success too. That's like the first, I guess, official question I had. And I, I, I just, I guess, I just felt like starting with this rather than jumping right into the six lanes. But yeah. what what does success in sport mean to you? Uh, or yeah, yeah. So what it used to mean, right? So we all have these objectives and goals, right? And we think that's success when we meet that we're going to be successful and feel successful. Yet what happens when you meet it? How long does that last? For me, it lasted maybe five minutes. And then I'm setting the next stuff and saying, okay, going to start grinding now for the next goal and realizing that my daily experience wasn't great. So success for me in sport or any endeavor is your daily optimized experience that's sustainable over time. So if you're an athlete, if you're a business guy, whatever it is, if you're living your dream, you're loving your days, you're making a contribution, feeling fulfilled, <clears throat> then that's success to me. And so that's how I, how I look at it. When I get an athlete that you know, wants the scholarship, but he's loving the training, loving where he is in high school, having great teammates, great relationships, performing on the field every day, he's not future you know, obsessed all the time that's successful to me. Yeah. It makes sense with the process, right? Like so often yeah. we just look at just what's the goal win the yeah. conference or get the scholarship, but then, but then what, I mean, it, 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 eventually it just, eventually there's, I think an emptiness. I mean, it's nice to get scholarships yeah. for sure, but at some yeah. point you, you get to the top and you like, you know, maybe you realize you were on the wrong ladder or something, but it's. <laughs> yeah. The, where I've dealt with it the most is Olympic athletes. After an Olympic year, wow, they struggle. Mightily they struggle with purpose, with focus, with you know what it all means, uh, the disappointment of even if they got a medal, you know, it didn't feel as good as they thought. But the but the daily optimal experience, if they're loving their life and the training, they're enjoying it, they're enjoying the relationships they're building, that seems to be sustainable to me. Yeah, I like the idea. I've always liked the thought. Or the word like, or the the phrase maybe, you know, today is the best day of your life. And you think like, yeah. you know, what if to make today the best training session you've ever had or the best day you've yeah. ever had as an athlete, you know, things like yeah. that. I mean, I, I guess I think about, there's certainly my own memories of, of things in my own athletic career, certainly, you know, setting my personal bests and things like I, I remember those, but just as well, I remember like a funny thing that happened in practice one time, you know, that's just yeah. as great, or, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's, it's all, it's all good. It's all part of that process. And like, you know, the yeah. friends you had and, and the training partners and those, the gnarly workouts, you know, that they were, maybe there was a little stupidity even in them, but there was still something memorable about those. And yeah. Yeah. I, the, the two sides of the coin that I'm always looking at is, is purpose. Are you very aligned in your purpose? And the other side is connection. Are you connecting to coaches? Are you connecting to teammates? Are you connecting to therapists? Everybody that's on your team and around. And if you're having great relationships and connecting, you're going to feel pretty good about your days. Yeah, yeah, and I know that's something that you had said too. I and I hope this isn't off the rails a little bit, but like in how many people we connect with on a given day. And you had talked to, yep. you had given me an anecdote with like Elon Musk and or someone who's like a homeless or something like yeah. that. Like how many people are you reaching? I thought that was really interesting. And I'm sure we'll talk about that maybe in, when we get into some of the lanes yep. and things like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Who, um, Scott, in your, in your, I mean, of course, across your growth as a coach, I, 
I I'm sure as we get to like some of the some of the lanes and the way you see it. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I'll probably be like, well, who are your mentors and all these things? It probably is. It's tough. You probably have so many. It's probably tough to throw them mm-hmm. all out there now. But what were some like real big milestones or moments where you're like, wow, I really need to make this thing a part of my process or this person really changed my life and views as a coach? Like, what are some moments that you had or critical points uh, along the way that formed you and in, in who you are right now and your coaching process? Yeah, I, I think if you go lane by lane, it kind of evolves like that. And, and uh, when it came to the physical lane, early in my career, a young buck trying to learn everything, Charles Bullockin was a huge influence. Huge influence as to the detail and the planning and the processing and the you know all the loading parameters that you could do to get an athlete strong and powerful and muscular and all those types of things. And then you grow from there. You start reading Russian research and you know, all the guys met Viev and all these guys, you start learning all that stuff as well. So the physical land, it started there with him, especially being from Northeast and living in Canada. A lot of my adult life, that was uh, early adult life. That was a big influence there. It took you down a bunch of different rabbit holes as well, right? When you hear him talk about somebody or you go, go research a Russian guy or a French guy or something like that. So that's how that started. The psychology lane, lane number one, honestly, it was amazing how many sports psychologist friends I have, but I've always struggled with how long that process was. I've always said, sometimes it's just psychology with the word sport in front of it. And it's like a three-year process talking about your mom and your upbringing. I'm like, I don't have that time. I don't have that much time. I got to get this guy ready for a world event in six months or something. And really where I found immense value is when you look at special forces, the commanders though, not Mm. so much the soldiers. And those guys have value as well. But when you look at a guy like Larry Atch, who's been a huge influence in my life, naval officer, Navy SEAL commander of SEAL Team 3, unbelievable what he understands about psychology and performance and connection and purpose and how to align all those things in anybody and behavior change. This guy is a master at stuff like that. And and so to study him, and I actually uh, learned from an Israeli guy, can't say his name, but uh, Israeli special ops guy taught me a lot about that stuff, self-regulation, things like that as well. But Larry Atch has been a huge influence on my career when it came to the psychology lane of things. Yeah, special technical. Forces. Yeah, yeah oh, you can go not- technical as well and look at, you know, Adrian Barr and Dan Paff and, you know, Dr. Yesis and all these guys that biomechanics guys and, and study the technical aspects of a certain movement or a certain sport you want to study. So it's, you know, I I like the six lanes because it it allows you to go investigate people that are at the top of that field and, and form your own opinion on who you like and how they teach. And, uh, but I I guarantee you, when you go research it, you're going to find similarities, the top people in, in those fields at that area, strategic planning, recovery, physical, all those lanes. So I love it. I like the special forces. I, I would love to get into that more as my career evolves. I know the only real experience I have with that is I, I used to listen to a lot more audiobooks back in the day. And one before yeah. I got, I, I, this was before this podcast started and back before I had kids. And when I had a little more time in my life for probably more leisureful things, I guess, but it was like a, a Delta force. It was a audiobook on Delta yeah. force. And they're talking about just live fire drills and, and like the, you know, double tap on the, like the trigger. And like, it's like, man, if live ammo is flying around, like this yeah. is just crazy. Yeah. And you have to be so on point with your team and your, you know, yeah. and your leadership and who you are. And then reading like Jocko Willick stuff too. It's yeah. man, I, I mean, 
the, the stakes are are the ultimate, right? And yeah. it's I, I couldn't think from leadership and yeah, like you said, self regulation. Um, yeah. Who who better to learn from? I think that's yeah. Awesome. That's that's where it starts, right? It starts with self regulation in three domains, right? The physical. These are the guys that can push themselves physically, the ultra marathoners, the whatever, right? The guys that have broken legs still playing in the NFL Super Bowl. Like those guys are physical. They can self-regulate immensely, right? And then there's the mental. Can they stay focused? Can they stay on point? Can they stay in the right mindset for the task at hand? And then there's the emotional. Can they shift in the right emotion at the right time to, to accomplish what they need to accomplish and stay in that emotion as long as they need to, right? When you can self-regulate in all those three, that is incredible performance because that leads to what? It leads to behaviors. And that's, you know, the six lanes is based on behaviors. And when you can change somebody's and athlete's behaviors, you're going to see a lot of things change physically, technically as well. Yeah. So with the six lanes, I know, I mean, we could probably talk about each lane for a whole show. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, however yeah. many we get through, we could save the rest for part two or whatever down the road. But, uh, Scott, tell me about your six lanes because I know you're, you're alluding to them. So let's just let's get to this and let's go through the system. Uh, maybe maybe first tell me when you actually put all this down on paper. It's like these here it is, and then tell me a little bit about the six lanes. Yeah, I, I start hearing a little bit about this guys posting and talking about these different lanes, and, and so it's been around. It's not something I purely invented. But it was the late 90s when I started looking into this stuff. It was, it was when I, and it really came from me thinking I was really good at physical preparation and, I, and watching athletes still fail. So I learned from the failures when I had an Olympic hopeful in the bobsled team that didn't quite make the team, but they were more explosive and faster on the 30 meters than anybody. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? So just started investigating all these different areas and, and then looking at the guys that did succeed a Pierre Luters and talking to him about, no, I study psychology, Scotty. What? You know, I say how much time he spends in, in sensory motor working on his vision and visualization. I'm like, Oh, what? So it, it was always looking at the failures and comparing to the, to the world leaders and saying, what are the differences? Cause it wasn't physical all the time. And that's what led me to kind of go through, okay, lane number one, and these are in order of importance, the way I see it, is psychology. You know, the development of intellect, emotions, and social skills, right? And the, and the ability to put those into action on the field with the greatest intensity, right? That is, that is key. Then sensory motor, right? The ability of the athlete to use vision, perceptual, and reaction skills to make quick and accurate decisions during the play. Lane number three, technical. The intense, intensity, repeatability, accuracy in which specific skills are performed on the field or the court or the pitch, whatever, right? Tactical, strategic lane. Okay, that's the ability of your team or yourself to put technical skills into use and equip yourself with the greatest likelihood of success against opposing players or teams. Physical preparation, development of the proper fitness abilities that underpin the ability to express those abilities on the field of play with maximum intensity and repeatability. And then recovery and restoration, the ability of the athlete to reset and become ready to compete sooner than later. All things that need to be checked <laughs> and mm -hmm. make sure you have uh, a certain level of competency in each one. If you want to, if you want a robust athlete. Yeah, I love it. And that, that's a big reason. I mean, all of this is a huge reason I wanted to 
have this chat today. It's just, it's amazing. You you start to hear themes. The more great yep. coaches you talk to, you start to see these themes, not even in um, just pure athletic performance. I did a podcast with Logan Christopher uh, after we did a little garage gym strongman training session, and he has a pyramid of strength just for, for strength training, just purely strength training. Right. And even just for purely strength training, it's still, the bottom is still mental. It's still, yeah. what does the mind, what it, where is the intention? Where is the belief sure. systems and everything yeah. there? And then it builds up from the bottom. And I think he said he had made that flip-flop. Like it was, the bottom was the training for a little while. And then he's like, ah, I'll put training the second to the bottom. It's, it starts with beliefs. Well, and, most, most of what I have done my whole career is physical preparation. I put that number five out of six. So what does that tell you? I'm probably telling the truth, right? <laughs> if I ranked myself that low, my importance. But uh, I think the key is, is, you know, to take each one of these lanes and find out who you feel the expert is at the end of that and go study with that guy. Go study that, that or those couple people. You know, psychology when it comes to special operators, lieutenant colonels, commanders of special forces, whether it be... SEAL teams, Delta Force teams, Israeli Special Forces teams. See if you can get to learn some of that stuff from these guys. Same with tactical, strategical planning. These guys are great at that too. You know, you look at a, a high school football coach and you think he's good at, or even an NFL coach or NHL coach, you think they're good at strategical, tactical planning. Well, let's go, let's compare them to a four star general and let's see how good they are. Like that's the kind of thing you want to, you want to compare to the, find the best and then start learning what you can in each one of those lanes and how you can apply it to your athletes. Yeah. It seems to me that it, even if you took this out of, I guess, strength and conditioning or athletic preparation as a field and you just paste this on, Hey, head football coach in the NFL or something, you know, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it would be pretty much the same thing in, in, in terms yeah. of the development. It's just, it's very universal. In yes. It. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing is when you, when you look at, the history of championships at high level sports, NCA, Olympic, you know, professional, a lot of coaches are winning a lot, right? You see the same coaches seem to be at the top all the time. And they're probably pretty good at two of the six lanes. Yeah. Yeah. And it just shows you how lacking some of the other guys are in all of them, right? Whether they're struggling or just inconsistent. So I, I think a good example too would be like, I mean, and again, I, I'm probably going to sit. this was a quote that was a couple podcasts ago and I'm probably going to repeat it on a bunch of them, but just cause I like it, but it's just, it was Corey Schlesinger talking about this quote of, um, he's like, I saw squats go up. I saw force plate numbers go up. I did not see wins go up. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to yeah. be able to put our ego to the side and just be like, okay, like, well, what, what other things are really at play here? And I, um, I think we would all like in division three, I worked in division three for a while. Yeah. And I think, and in division three, a lot of times, like if it's a football team, you got a football assistant coach running the strength program or the basketball yeah. team. And I don't think that, you know, and so in a lot of those cases, a lot of those teams, even if the strength and conditioning program is quote unquote, you know, not great or something, the team could still go out and thrash everybody, you know? I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're doing the basics. They're doing the 80, 20, they're doing 80% of probably what they're going to get out of the weight room. Maybe they're missing the last 20, but they're getting everything. They're all those lanes that come before it, they're dialed in on. And so, and that's, and that's a key thing. Cause I, I think as whether we're physical preparation, strength, conditioning, we do want to influence wins, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what influences that? Well, psychology and behaviors form a better team. Your team will function better when they communicate better, when they're aligned in their purposes and their roles. That's what all this does. 
you know, a, a special operator commander can't afford to lose. They're in the worst environments, jobs mm-hmm. given to them that were told, other people were told they're impossible, right? And their, their competition isn't trying to score on them. It's trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. So they can't, they can't lose. So for them to form a team and the physical preparation, when you get that right with this other stuff, then I, then I think you're, you're going to influence wins. I guarantee it. You know, so, I mean, really, especially at the youth level or the, mm-hmm. or the high school level, when you can start putting this stuff in, let's be real sports engage more individuals and more families and more communities in a shared experience than any other single cultural activity organization or religion in America sports, right? 30 million kids play recreational sports, 10 million play interscholastical 40 to 80 million parents invested in their children's sports. 5 million coaches. Let's, let's be more transformable coaches. Let's change, you know, kids lives for the better instead of being a trans transactional coach. Right. And if you want to do that as a strength conditioning guy, you can do that. If you want to learn behavior change, psychology, sensory motor, all this stuff, you can make a big influence on on, on, a lifetime influence forever. (laughs) You know, that you can influence someone's life. It happened to me. You know, back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, this is when it happened to me. And it changed. And I've influenced a bunch of people because of it. So uh, that's why I'm saying, like, we keep going down the rabbit hole of the physical preparation. Let's expand a little bit. Let's, let's, let's find resources to learn about psychology. Let's look up guys like Larry Atch and, and guys like that that know how to, how to coach teams to unbelievable performances and, and function levels. Um, yeah, and I, and I think we, we can influence that being a strength conditioning or physical prep guy. We can influence these other lanes. We can learn technical. Look at all the stuff you learned from Adrian Barr, right, in, in the technical area. So change changed you, right? Oh, yeah. So we can learn te- technical stuff. We can learn how the hips rotate and the shoulders rotate in a baseball swing if I'm a strength conditioning guy. It shouldn't be just about the barbell. This is what I want to see in the industry, like us become way more well-rounded and influential as a coach, not just strength conditioning coach. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share with you a little bit about what our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, now has available in their store. You hear me mention in the outro of the show all the time about the free lap timing system in the K-Box, which I have and use regularly. But today I wanted to share a little bit more about the bar speed monitoring units that Simply Faster has, which is the Gym Aware and the new portable flex unit. So let me start with the gym wear. I mention it regularly on the show. It's been referred to as the Cadillac of bar speed monitors. Carl Valley calls it a lab inside a lunchbox as the readings you get out of the gym wear go well beyond typical concentric or just up the up phase of the lift velocities. Rather, you can measure the entire shape of the barbell lift in terms of eccentric velocity, range of motion, and total work done. Total work being awesome, by the way, especially like comparing a long-armed bench presser or a 6'10", squatter versus a 511 point guard so you're getting all these extra metrics that you're not getting on other units it's perfect for teams wanting to manage the weight room and the data synchronizes to software platforms such as coach me plus team builder and athlete monitoring so new to the store is the flex which is the ultra portable and lower price travel version of the coach's favorite gym aware so just like the gym wear, the flex measures the shape of each rep range of motion total work done eccentric dynamics So for this and the gym aware, this is the advantage that a force plate would have over just knowing how high you jumped. You're getting many other metrics and information that go into this unit of work. 
Compared to similar portable bar speed monitors, this unit gets the entire rep rather than a fraction. So you have here two awesome tools. And if you're interested in upping your game in the velocity-based training and bar speed world, I would definitely recommend heading to the store at simplyfaster.com and checking into these two units. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I, I think about that. And the if you're, I mean, for a university strength coach now or to work in the pros, I guess, or, you know, they, it's like you kind of need six years of school, right? Met bachelor's and master's. And I just think about if you had six years to learn about all this stuff, yeah, you're, you're going to tap out in, in just, if I was just to learn about barbells and dumbbells and strength, I'm probably going to start tapping out after about a year or two in terms of my max. Right. Maybe I'll learn a little bit more each year, but it's going to, it's going to, uh, what do you call it? Like what you get per, for what you're putting in. There's a way yeah. shorter way of saying that <laughs> yeah. it's not as, and it's like, okay, well now if I start studying psychology, now I'm my my return is huge, or I start saying technical, my return is huge, versus yeah. getting to the point of hair splitting in just one lane. You know, that's right. And, that's a, that's exactly what I've seen in my career. And trust me, I fell down that rabbit hole deep in in my early parts of my career. Force plate this, and you know, analyzing this, and looking at this, and different protocols with the barbell. It's still great. I still love it, and I still think it makes a difference. Right when someone can do that yeah. stuff well. But you want to influence wins. You want to influence relationships. You want to influence someone's experience forever in sports, right? Where people, where kids aren't feeling left out or feeling mm -hmm. like, like they didn't reach their potential. I think that's, and it's, it's interesting to me. It's fascinating to me. So I assume that other guys that are strength conditioning guys would probably find most of it fascinating as well. Yeah, I, I know I do. I mean, for me, it's been my, I used to not, when I was 25, to me, it was just all about the training. You know, how can I, yeah. what arrangement of strength and plyos and sprints is going to get me the best outputs? And yeah. I would hear people say things like, oh, that guy didn't do good that race because he he quit, you know, at this mile or something. And I would think, oh, it's done. It was just the training. His training was, you know, yeah. I, I never saw that. Like, I never could see beyond just the training. And then the more elite coaches that I started to work with as I progressed forward, the more, and the more elite athletes, especially like I know we've both worked with Olympians and you see yeah. the difference in the mind of an Olympian and the mind of someone who just can't break through. And it's so substantial. And I just, and, yeah. And, and that's it. If you're, you know, the, the one thing that I'm, I'm close to having a, a little bit of a curriculum for people to have, and, and probably by the end of the year, I'll have this dialed up with, with, you know, Naval officers and teaching it with us and things like that. So it's, it's, we call them leadership tenants, but they're behaviors, right? And courage, honor, respect, responsibility, communication, confidence, perseverance, innovation, ambition. Well, let's teach kids this. Let's teach young athletes. Remember, I have professional NFL, NHL athletes that are making you know $10 million a year. They're 25 years old, 26 years old, 27 years old. By life standards, that's young. And they don't have all this stuff locked up. But this is how this works. These are all behaviors, right? And character behaviors. You self-regulate so you can express these behaviors. You express these behaviors, people are going to want to follow you. People are going to want to team with you. People are going to want to have you as a teammate 100%. You want success? Team well. Team well have a high functioning team around you with you that's deeply connected and on purpose, 
All right. With these types of behaviors, everybody displaying these types of behaviors, watch what happens. This is, this is a great experience. This is success now. So to teach these things while you're training, and it can happen concurrently when you're teaching weight training, you're going to teach perseverance. You're going to teach ambition. You're going to teach courage. You're going to teach honor. You're going to teach all these things. And this is the behaviors lead to a higher functioning team and a higher functioning team leads to success every time. I think that so many of us who have spent time with athletes in the weight room, we see that we just, I don't think there's that many people who have actually taken the time to say, to say here, these are the leadership traits that can be built up. I think we just, yeah. we, we look at it. We're like, you know, discipline and hard work and culture. And then, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've realized as much as anything in the teams I've worked with that, you know, for, I work with individual sports and team sports and yeah. especially for the, the team sport. And it's important for individual too, absolutely. But especially for the team sports, that cultural element and trying to get people to foster situations where people actually have to communicate in the weight room and create circuit training where communication is required. And like, there's, there's a lot more than just the physical training that's built me. That's developed me as a coach tremendously. And if I end up coaching team sports someday, which I hope to, that also will go a long way. And yeah. 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 What, what if, which, which is possible, the things that were taught to me by guys like Larry Atch, right? What if us as a strength community had a universal distinction for courage, a universal distinction for honor and how to teach that? So we're all taught, we're all on the same page, and then we can get creative and, and share successes and failures with each other instead of, I've done it. I've asked 50 athletes and coaches what honor is, and they all couldn't give me a very clear distinction of what it is, which is kind of sad in sports, right? <laughs> One of the most honorable things that we're supposed to teach athletes is honor, right? Firefighters know what it is. Special force operators know what it is, right? So, I mean, the distinction I was taught, honor, is living up to a code of behavior in which the concerns of the group come before selfish concerns. Let's start recognizing that and playing with it. Let's start teaching it. Let's start getting guys to display it right? See what happens. That's a behavior that other people want to be around. Other people build trust when that happens. But most people don't have a pure distinction of honor. So how can you really teach it? How can you really plaster that on so- in someone's mind over and over and over again to where it becomes second nature that they know what it is and they recognize it in somebody and they recognize when someone's not doing it on the team and they correct it, right? These are, these are the things where we can influence wins and influence behaviors and influence the quality of someone's life for a lifetime. This is what sports is supposed to do. Like I said, 30 million kids playing recreational sports. You're either a transactional coach. What can you do for me? Quid pro quo, right? (laughs) Or, or you're a transformational coach where you're going to transform someone's life with sports. That's what, where, where it led me. I used to be a transactional coach. I'll get your 40 down, pay me. I'll get your vertical up, pay me. Right. But wasn't fulfilling for me. And I, and I didn't just see it as a sustainable way of life. I wanted to, I wanted to have. So it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about right at the beginning, just like the goal versus the process at the end of yeah. the day, the process of just bringing out the best in athletes is that's yeah. the most enjoyable thing. Yes. Uh, so with all, with all this, you know, you have these lanes and these leadership traits, yeah. how does this shake out? If, I mean, is it, 
a little bit more of, is it systematic at all? Is it, if someone comes in, it's like, are you, are we assessing your lanes? Are we, is it, are they aware of the traits? Are they, you know, is it written? How is that, how does that shake out? If I walk in your facility, uh, what would I expect in that regards? Yeah. The first thing is awareness, right? I'm going to teach you these. We're going to be aware of it. I, I, this is a call out to everybody to help me develop uh, a testing one to test all these things. Okay. <laughs> Cause um, obviously physical and technical, we could probably test those a little bit. Sure. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, and, and that's, and even recovery wise, we're getting good at that. So we use all the tools we have in these other lanes. Right. Um, but I'm in process working with some really, you know, high end people when it, how to, how to test psychology. Now sensory motor, I'm fortunate in my facility as a partner of mine is Ryan Harrison, Dr. Bill Harrison's son who, when it comes to visual, perceptual, sensory motor stuff, these guys are off the charts. They're, they're, the, they're the leaders in the field when it comes to it. So I'm fortunate to have those guys, you know, partnered up with me in the same, in the same facility. So that's always fun to learn what they can do with visual, perceptual stuff. Um, but yeah, we're going to first educate you on all these things. And then, and then I'm going to, the way I test some of this, especially the psychological, sensory motor, all this stuff is, is I'm going to ask you where you feel your, you know, your weaknesses and your strengths are. I'm going to ask your coach what he feels. I'm going to ask your dad or your mom, <laughs> you know, and we're, I'm going to get a feel for where your strengths and weaknesses are in that. And that's your kind of your code, right? And early off season, we work on your weaknesses. That's my plan. When we start getting closer to camps, tryouts, seasons, we work on your strengths. That's what got you there. That's the stuff that, that you're made of, that you're good at. And I want confidence high when you're going into camps and, and seasons and stuff like that. So we have a, we have a layout of, Hey, if we identify your three weaknesses, whether maybe technically you're not good, maybe you don't recover well, and maybe, you know, your psychology is all over the place. Well, those are the three we're going to focus on and it's vertical integration. We're going to work on all of them, but those are going to be the focus early off season. Once we hit the midway point in the off season, we're probably going to start working on your strengths a little more. And, and, and everybody gets excited about that. And we're going we're gonna to teach those things and what we know about them. And, and if it's something I can't influence, I'm going to call the expert at the end of that lane and say, I need help. I'm stuck here. And they usually get on, get on the phone with me and help me out a little bit on how to move the needle more. So, but everybody's got their own unique code, right? Everybody could start. You know, some one guy starts and his code to work on is a three, six, one. <laughs> you know, and someone else comes in and they got to work on two, five, three. Uh, you know, in that order, that's, that's kind of what their focus is. I want them to learn about the, those lanes and where their weaknesses are. And that way they go into the next season with less of a weakness and their strengths are greater. So if I'm coming in and my, I'll just use me as a high school, I'm going to go back and step into Joel as a high school basketball player. I was just talking about this in another podcast. That'll be out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but my, uh, my we re- absolutely weak in lane, like lane one, terrible, like the psychology, everything to do with that. Terrible physical for high school basketball, I was great. You know, no problem. Big engine, athletic. And yeah. then, you know, technical, meh. I mean, so I, I would have, recovery was good. So for me, it was like maybe lane one, two, and three. I need yeah. a lot of work. So if I come in uh, and it's the off season, I mean, what are we, what's what's the session looking at? How is it altered for me who comes in with pretty good physical abilities, but I need yeah. to work on those other elements? So typically... The we are we are a gym, right? We do train people. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. You, like, and, and I and I'm going to look at athleticism, power, how you move, injury profiles. That's important. That that's what really what you know what I do as well. But we are pretty much you're going to spend 15 minutes, a couple days a week, addressing one of those things. 
and you're going to get tons of homework and maybe another session in it if you need to, right? Or connected with somebody that can help you. So we may teach courage for the first month at the, for 15 minutes at the end of each session. You may work on that. The next month, we'll probably teach honor. The next month, we'll teach responsibility. We'll teach respect the next month. So every month, you're going to get a, a deep, deep understanding of self-regulation and behaviors and connection, things like that. You're going you're gonna to learn these things. So some of these leadership tenants are tied to self-regulation. Some are tied to like perseverance. That's, that's tied to self-regulation, right? Or some of it is, is tied to team, to connection with people, courage, honor. Those are, those are connected to, you know, to, to, to team and connecting with teammates and, and coaches and things like that. So you're going to learn that stuff every, you know, problem every week for a month and, and where we assess how much you've learned and if we need to keep going with it. But typically I like to get through, you know, the, the program that, that we're building is, is going to be 11 months to cover all these things. Innovation, ambition. How do you build ambition with an athlete that's talented but doesn't have a lot of drive, right? Like you can build those things. You can, and, and that's what you would, you would get on those areas. You might spend 15 minutes before the session working with Ryan Harrison on visual perceptual stuff before the session. I may have you do it during the session after just squat, squat some weight, your heart rates up, go do some visual stuff now, see how you do. So it's always blended in before, during, or after a little bit, each one of these lanes. Oh, that's awesome. If I was a tennis player, I play tennis recreationally, but not competitively. But if I was a tennis player, I think I'd be seeing Dr. Harrison every day. (laughs) Remarkable. Unfortunately, we lost him two years ago, right? Or a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. But his son, Ryan, is just remarkable when it comes to carrying on his legacy and, and, and the practical application of what Doc knew. Doc Harrison knew is, is incredible what Ryan can do and the tools he has. He's always coming up with new data from the military that he comes up with and new testing protocols. But yeah, this guy, I mean, remarkable. Jeff Moyer talks about how he sent a tennis player to, uh, to Ryan Harrison, who didn't even see the person move, tested his eyes and says, you struggle with the backhand. Yeah. And people are like, what? Like he, yeah, he's that good with, with visual spatial stuff and, and what it means and how to test it. And so, yeah, I'm fortunate to learn from him uh, every day. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's tennis for sure. Baseball for sure. Hockey goalie for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to deal with that stuff a lot. So yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. I, I was going to, I was back to what you were saying about like the leadership tenants too. I was just thinking, I mean, you have your 12 of them, right? I mean, yeah. in some way you could go through like, you know, one a month if you had a whole year, but I was just thinking yeah. like a, a real perceptive coach, be it strength coach, team coach could probably get an idea of maybe what some of those lower hanging elements were like this team needs to learn this yes uh, and, and and how far could that because not only it's like it was a bill walsh who wrote the book the score takes care of itself i i think i'm not sure yeah, yeah i'll have to look that up and fact check myself I, but I, I i love i love that idea like look if we take care of all this stuff and we embrace the process and we learn leadership and and teamwork and cohesion and beliefs and everything the score is eventually going to take care of itself whatever the outcome is meant to be and it's probably going to yeah. be good you know um you said but i want to ask you too i before we get any further this i know there's a stat like a very high percentage of your athletes have gone on to have leadership positions right be it like college or beyond or something like that yeah it was actually last year one of the fathers uh i i 
kind of took over and mentored a, a local high school football team that was struggling seven years ago when I took them over a famous high school football team, modern day high school. And, uh, kind of brought someone, someone asked me, kind of challenged me, this, would this stuff work at the high school level? And I'm like, yeah, sure. It wouldn't. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they go, well, kind of let's test it. So I went there and helped turn their program around. Uh, their coach, coach is amazing guy. Super, uh, still you know in his 70s coaching but still learning every day was is open to learning and we turned it into a national powerhouse right they've got so many guys you know playing at alabama and georgia and usc and stuff like that and um but yeah it's uh uh what was the question you asked again oh uh well just it was uh the i was just asking the percentage of people that oh yeah yeah like behave so, leadership positions i think yeah so one one of the uh one of the fathers had had tracked you know, a lot of the athletes we've worked with, he's a big fan of what we do. His son trained with us in sixth grade and he made, he was a great connection kid. He made a lot of connections with volleyball players and U S figure skaters and NFL guys and, and tracked a stat that said, Scott, over the last five years of the, you know, few hundred amateur athletes you've worked with over th- we've calculated over 35% of them have been voted captains of their high school, college or NFL NHL teams. I was like, "Whoa, really?" I didn't even—I wasn't even aware of that. But it was—it it was definitely a proud kind of pop a moment for me when I when I heard that stat and verified it as well. With some of them being multiple, like high school captain, college captain at Duke, at Boston University, at things like that. So that was uh, that was good to hear. Yeah, I, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's really—I think if you ask like it, a strength coach, like why why do we do what we do? Ultimately, I, I think we want to see our team win for sure, but there's it's so intricately tied with the development of the person and so yes that's such a stat that you love to see um yeah oh sorry go ahead if you're gonna say something no i just yeah there's there's there comes a time where in my career anyways where the physical outputs were impressive you know i've I've had a legit white guy run a four three at the nfl combine (laughs) like and people are like whoa like how does that happen right it just it lost its luster a little bit if that's all i was doing and then it was funny how when i started implementing this other stuff not only were the relationships my daily experiences my fulfillment the athletes fulfillment and connections getting better as human beings they were winning more (laughs) you know they were performing better so it it just was a no-brainer from there for me to continue going down these roads so I love it. I was going to, so I was going to say, I, I would love to get into some of the leadership tenets um, and, you know, we don't have to go through all of them, but I'm just curious of some examples. Like, let's say, I think a lot of coaches sometimes may fall into the point where they just feel like they're, I, it, there's all sorts of things, right? But like, I've definitely seen the case where the team seemed to lack ambition um, yes. and, and just observing various teams throughout the year, whether I worked with them or didn't. And it's like, this team lacks ambition. Uh, and yeah. I think the coach would just go in and try to get him fired. And that's, you know, it's good. Get some energy in the room. But like, how would you go through uh, the ambition uh, category? Like either be it an individual or a team. What's, what are some key tenets? Well, there? first, let's identify it, right? Ambition is, is it's a desire to change a current situation into a different future situation. So you have to identify what's the current situation we're in. How do you feel about it? Right. And then what's the future it's, it's basically a desired end state. Okay. How, how do you want to feel at the end of this? How do you want to feel in the future? 
how, what, what feeling do you want to feel? What feeling do you want to avoid? That's what, that's what invokes action, especially in younger athletes, the feeling, right? They want to avoid a feeling. They want to chase a feeling. And if you can be a leader that is a visionary leader and paints the picture of this is how it's going to feel when you guys are bonded together, winning championships, doing whatever, this is what it's going to feel like. If you don't, if you do it this way, that will start the process of ambition. Interesting. Yeah, that, that will start. So it's basically a real evaluation of the feeling, the desire to change the current situation because of how you feel in the current situation, how you're going to feel if it goes this way versus how it's, it's called the desired end state. Yeah. If you if look, look into a lot of this stuff with Larry Atch, SEAL team leaders, boy, he goes deep into this stuff as well. Deep into it as well. Yeah. So that's that's how you you build ambition in somebody. Cool. It, and it's it's worked tremendously. You know, you know where I've seen it work a lot? <laughs> Basketball players. <laughs> Some of these guys, <laughs> they just you know, they just want to play the sport and go shut it down after. And and uh I've worked with a couple NBA guys that that it helped it's helped tremendously to build that ambition and and and, and work on kind of desired end state, right? How do you want to feel in the future? What do you want to avoid feeling in the future? And let's use that as the as the motivator of, you know, what we do every day. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard too, if someone doesn't, to have a vision is, is so key, but if someone doesn't have a vision, you can ask, well, what's your, what's your night? What don't you want to feel? You know, what's your nightmare? Yeah. What, and that could be yeah. powerful too. Yeah. And, and I think it comes to, you know, you also, when it comes to ambition, some of these things, there's, there's subconscious things going on and conscious things going on. And, and with the subconscious changes, what you need to do is change the environment. That's the biggest hammer to change someone's behaviors when it comes to behavior change is when it's a subconscious thing that's going on, they're not conscious of what they're doing, whether it's a lack of ambition or a lack of honor, you change the environment. And that's a, that, that opens up the subconscious to learning new things. When the environment is really the trigger for these neural pathways to keep being activated. So change the environment and then you can start building something new in that new environment. Yeah, the environment situation, like just that, the environment of the team and, and everything there has been a real, learning more about that has been really substantial for me. I was going to ask you as well, like just going through some of these other ones, because I, I love hearing about these. I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, it's, it's just so valuable when you're in that team environment. But uh, how about uh, like bravery? What's, uh, what's, um, how do you go well, through that? Courage, right? Or so, courage, yeah. you know, and, there, and you can, you can talk about different words for these, but they all kind of fall on these. So this is very interesting, right? So courage, what's the main thing you have to have for courage? What's the, it's the, it's the, the number one criteria that has to be there to be courageous. What is it? What do you think? Hmm. That's a good question. I should know this. I, don't, I would say like self-belief or something or, 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 but I don't, I really, I don't know. I Fear. It's fear. Oh, interesting. It's fear. You have to have fear to be courageous. Right. It's not, it's not courageous for me to walk into a weight room. Right. Cause I have no fear walking into a weight room. Right. But if I feel immense fear, but I still take effect, make effective choices and take effective action in spite of it, that's courageous. That's courageous. So it's, it's teaching. And, and that's kind of, you know, the ability to influence change, right? Power. That's what power is. The ability to influence change. It has to go in a sequence. You have to learn something first. 
Then you have to practice it. Then you gain experience. That actually goes in six steps. You learn something. After you learn it, you, you've obtained some knowledge. What do you do with that knowledge? You have to practice it. After you practice it, you start developing a skill set. Now you take that skill set, you put it in experiences with some pressure. If you fail, you go back to practice, all right? Because you couldn't, you couldn't perform it under pressure. If you don't fail, guess what happens? Confidence. You build confidence. That's what every athlete, every business guy, every father, every mother wants. They want confidence in what they're doing. So there's a sequence in how you build that. Unfortunately, in these times, there's no practice anymore. In high school, you go to modern day, every practice is a competition. You could lose your job in three plays. Drop three balls, good, you're out. Next guy's in. Another four stars right behind you. Mm -hmm. Same with college, same with pros. So the athletes that show perseverance, ambition, all these other things, they go out and work on their own. They go out and work extra all the time because they can play with things. How many times you hear about Jordan and Kobe and Tiger Woods playing around? That's their practice because practice, there can't be any, any uh, fear of failure. You have to play with it and have fun with it. That's when you get good. That's when you build skill sets. But unfortunately, in today's climate, so competitive, practices are no longer practices. They are competitions almost all the time, which is experience. It puts pressure on kids and, 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 and athletes, and they, you know, they lose confidence that way. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, sometimes I wonder, you hear about just all the distinguishments between being a child in unstructured play, and then it starts to get more structured over time. And I, I know innovation was one of the uh, tenets as well. And I've been talking with a lot of coaches about creativity. So real, it, yes. would you say that today's modern practice structure and game structure, it almost facilitates a, a situation where you can't be as creative unless you go and do it on your own. Like you can't, you can't yeah. take the risk to be creative because you don't want to mess up and you know lose your job, so to speak, and lose your position. One hundred percent. So innovation, right? So think about who's the great innovator of our time. Is you know we'll look at Elon Musk right now, right? So tell me if this defines his his level of innovation. Innovation is bringing into the possible that which is impossible, right? So to do that. You have to have the feeling that you could be creative, that you could fail, that you could try things, being innovative, that you're going to bring into the possible that which was impossible at one point. So, I mean, that's, this is what we want to build in people. We want to build the innovation in them. And you're right. That, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's the ability to be creative, but, but be creative into something that someone said was impossible. Like, okay, I'll show you. <laughs> I'll show you. That's one of my favorite things when someone tells me it's impossible. I'm very innovative when it comes to stuff like that. And and but but I'm not afraid to fail either. Some things I am, but not in that area. So Yeah, it makes me think of the Kevin Garnett or I think it was Adidas, the impossible is nothing. And it's like this is woven into our fabric, really. And and it's yeah, just But it starts you're you're exactly right that the practices now are so structured and scripted and planned and and coaches are 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 you know so control centric instead of empowerment centric. You know, they're gonna have you do it their way every time. They're 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 crushing innovation. You know, most most championships, I mean the fundamentals have to be there, but there's always those one or two 
uncoachable plays that you're like, whoa, how did he do that? Which inspires their teammates and changes the momentum and, you know, all the good things that happen with innovation. Got to have that. How do you, you got to have it? You know, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I totally interrupt you. I, this was on my mind. Please go ahead. Cause I, I just had some, I was like, ah, sorry. I bet I was yeah. So, well, oh, well, please. you know, I, I've been part of, uh, a group of guys that do a lot of work <clears throat> in, in the DR and uh, Puerto Rico with baseball kids. You want to talk about innovation. You go down there and you watch these kids field balls on a rocky field with a milk carton on their yeah. hand. And I'm like, they are absolute wizards because they're able to innovate. And then they get, you know, the, they get brought over here for scholarships or minor league stuff. And they're absolute wizards on the field because it's like, you know, playing, with all the best tools now. Right. So I, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be down there and work with some of these baseball guys and some of these therapists I know that are dedicating time down there and donating time actually to help out and just remarkable, the innovation that goes on in some of these, you know, you play soccer in Brazil, like things like that. You see it and you're like, Whoa, this is what we're missing right here. I think that's why the Rocky training montages are so like close to our heart, right? Because it's like, that's like innovation and what use what you have. (laughs) Well, just think about all the leadership tenants he had, right? (laughs) Ambition, innovation, you know, perseverance, courage, drive, all those things, right? That's why, that's why it resonates with every athlete, right? Because we all, we all feel that inside. We want all that stuff, right? And as coaches, you know, I I hope I can help, you know, maybe empower a few coaches that are interested to to learn this stuff and, and take it on to athletes as well, so... I think storytelling is so often the best way to communicate things. And just to say, you know, watch, why do you love a Rocky movie? Because, you know, like, and I was going to, what I was going to ask you, and I think that's awesome, by the way. I was just thinking too, um, it's not up on the site yet, but there probably will be by the time this podcast goes out. Michael Zwiefel of Building Better Athletes and Emergence wrote an article on, uh, a very extensive article on perception, action, and agility. and one of the pieces in the article that I really liked was he said for young athletes, especially he was just talking about constraints that the coach can control yeah. and change. And he said, for young athletes, you want to change the equipment like often. And that, yeah. that totally reminds me that like that young player in the DR just, yeah. I, I, I would, when I was there, I was in the DR one time uh, when I was like six and I remember, I don't remember a lot from there cause I was young, but one of the things I remember was kids playing stickball in the street, you know, just, the rock and a stick basically like here's you know a little equipment change and you wonder why it those players being good go so far beyond i think the 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 typical x's and o's and technical there's so much that goes into development from a young athlete that that comes up and i think we miss it because i mean baseball is the most datafied you know thing ever right (laughs) yeah yeah i've i've found my experience my probably my bias even the athletes now that I've had that were NFL, NHL, NBA, that were the most athletic in multiple, multiple ways, just were happier. They just, you know, they use their bodies in life. They're, they're retired and still playing, playing a little bit, pick up basketball, mm-hmm. playing a little hockey, non-checking. You know what I mean? They're just the guys that were the most athletic and build, built athleticism and all these, you know, innovation and, and perception, reaction, sensory motor. They just are happier their whole lives. It seems like that to me anyway. That's been my experience. I, I love that. I love how all this stuff, it's universal. And I think that's such a cool part about it. I, one thing I, I really wanted to add, this is where I was interrupting. I, I, so this is, my, it was just not, this is on my mind. But okay, like in the weight room, let's say, 
I'm in a situation. Well, whether the sport is like this or not, let's. I mean, I, I would think, wow, if my sport coach is not being innovative, maybe I can offer some innovation in the way. You know, what I'm saying, like, I mean, it doesn't really can't really relate to sport as much. Anyways, how do you how do you show innovation or cultivate innovation in the weight in a weight room setting? What are your thoughts on that? Um. Well, I mean, I, I think again. Um, you know, I think keeping it fresh, keeping them involved, right? Uh, here, here is one thing I like to see in the weight room that I that I really preach in the weight room, especially when it comes to a team setting. I want to see these leadership tenants recognized and played with. I want someone to recognize a younger player showing honor. I want them to, you know, recognize an older player showing courage. I think that's innovative in a way to have that type of communication, right? Like what's, what's the number one thing that separates us from animals? Why we've, one of the reasons why we have advanced so far. Animals communicate, but we have language, which is a precise tool for action, for coordinating action, right? I ask you to hand me a pen, how quick can you hand it to me? I ask a dog to hand me a pen, it might take, five minutes <laughs> if he's trained well. <laughs> right. So, um, so innovating, you know, that's how I innovate in the weight room is, is one, I teach everything, right. That, like if we're in a, if we're in a certain type of phase, I want them learning what it's about and, and, and learning about it, but let's, let's, let's play with some of these leadership tenants. Let's play with some of this self-regulation stuff. Let's, you know, play with this stuff in the weight room as well. Communication, language, all that stuff is, is way to innovate in the weight room. It's not just not about, screaming, hyping yourself up, slapping your training partner in the face, you know, let's, let's recognize responsibility, confidence, perseverance. Let's see if we can recognize some of these things. If we're teaching it that month, let's see it in the weight room. Let's see it on the track. Let's see it in the conditioning drills. Let's see it now. Let's see you go, uh, go express leadership, which is taking effective action and evoking effective action in others. And, and, and we talked about this a little earlier uh, before the, and we started recording is, you know, leadership as a trait, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. It's almost, it's, it's really time and situation, right? Like if, if, if I'm going to do a podcast, guess who's going to lead that for me? You, <laughs> right? And, you know, if I'm going to work with an NHL guy, you know, we're going to work together. Maybe I lead that. So it's time and situation, but it all starts kind of, you were right in a way. It all starts with what you were taught and believe earlier. Are you a leader? And everybody's a leader. Watch, watch my two-year-old son lead me and my wife around. Okay. He demands something. He gets it. Mm-hmm. But we're all, if we're all taught that, yes, there are situations I've seen you lead before when you knew what to do, when you knew the best actions to take, when you were the most comfortable or the most confident, it, it might be as simple as math homework and you're the star, you're the, you're the third string tight end, but you're great at math. Well, I bet you, you've led in that classroom. I guarantee yeah. you're a leader in some way. Once you get that belief that you're a leader, then you can start nurturing that out of people to take effective action and then evoke effective action in others. That's leadership. That's pure sense. And, and I, I will, you know, that could be taught once somebody believes, yes, I'm a leader. I've, I've shown it before, maybe not at this particular time and situation, but other times and situations I'll lead. And once a kid believes that you can build leadership in them. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important. I know we talked about this a little bit before the show. I, it just, the, the idea of everyone being a leader, I think there's some people who are, you know, the idea of a born leader versus 
qualities that you can work on um, yeah. to, to become better. And I, I've certainly worked on it a lot myself because I feel like I leadership is something I've, I've had to work on. It has not yes. come naturally to me. <laughs> and yes. So yeah, yeah, that would have been really helpful for me, especially in my high school years, because I don't know that yeah. anyone ever really talked right. to me about that. That's right. If someone, if someone uh, in, a, in a positional authority that you looked up to would have told you, Joel, you're a leader. I'll show you five things I've seen this week in your comfort area where you took very effective action and you led people. Like I said, it could have been just purely jumping, could have been math homework. Yeah. Whatever it was, you, you led. And that just wakes something up inside a young person, a young athlete. Remember, when I say young athlete, I'm just not talking about youth or high school. A college Heisman Trophy winner is a young athlete to me. <laughs> right? The guy's 22 years old. Ask, ask me what I was thinking when I was 22. <laughs> Wasn't good. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, yeah, I, I think... I mean, that just, if someone had said that to me I, I, at, at 17 or something, it would have been life changing. Cause I don't, I've yeah. never heard anything like that, you know? And, and it just, yeah. it makes such a difference. I, with communication, obviously that massive. How do you approach yeah. that with what, what type of communication do you want to see? Let's say, be it a group, let's, a group of people training or a, an athlete yeah. or two. What are some yeah. things you're looking for there, Scott? So, so you, so language, right? So my team in my facility, <clears throat> we have something that Larry Atch had given me called the distinctionary, right? It's, it's our verbiage, our words. So we can quickly act when someone says, you know, hey, go grab that. We know exactly what to do. Hey, I need help with this. So ha having a shared language, a shared background of experience, right? So a shared language, why do Navy SEALs execute so fast? They communicate with their eyes. They have, a, they have their own language, right? They have their own language, what a hand signal means. So when you develop and everybody is very clear on the language, you can execute action so quickly and so precisely. So the first thing is to really identify your language for your community, your team, your business, whatever it is. You've got to have a shared background of experience of language. You all have to know what what deep what these words mean. So when we call on them, everybody takes the right actions. And then there's common concerns, right? Are we all concerned about the same things, which will which will lead to the right commitments and obligations? Are we all concerned about the exact same things here? And then back to the desired end state. Do do are we do we all want to feel the same things at the end of it? Right. When I get in the weight room with a team. And I tell, and I take the time to say, Hey, this is what I want everybody to feel at the end of this weight session. Cool. You guys want to feel, you guys want to feel that? They go, yeah, yeah, we want to feel that. I go, okay, you guys be innovative and show me how you can make that happen now. And they'll do things I, I would have never done that feel that way. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I feel good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I feel that. like we accomplished something. But so that's where that stuff comes in the weight room, right? So setting in the desired end state, how we want to feel at the end of this. We all have the same concerns. We all share the same language. You're going to function at a pretty high level. I love that. I love that. Even just in, we had talked about ambition too. I feel like that, I, I feel that that team that lacks um, ambition that comes in and they're just look a little apathetic. 
Yeah, just getting them to be on the same page with the communication, shared, shared desire. How do you want to feel? Yeah. It gives them something to latch onto. Like yes. maybe yes. they have nothing to latch onto mentally. Maybe they don't even know why they're there on the given day. It's like sometimes I think you have to put that vision in their head if they don't have one, or the night, or put yeah. a nightmare in their head if you don't do this. Do you, do you, or what don't you want to feel like when you sure. leave? <laughs> so, sure, we could we could feel like this if you go about it this way, or we could feel like this. Yeah. And, and if, if we share the language, if we have the same concerns, if we really all commit to feeling this way, uh, let's see what happens. I'll, I'll leave it to you guys to, to, to go make that happen, and I'll guide you. I'll be a safety net if you need help. I'll be right here if you need help. That's when you start seeing ambition, innovation, all that stuff go crazy in the weight room. So it's fun. It makes it fun. I imagine. You got to start making the weight room fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, 100%. I, my my eight years I was a track coach for six and a full-time strength coach for eight. And there was just this transformation over the eight of just making the weight room more fun, more autonomy for the athlete, more of a facilitator. It's, it, it's just that direction. And you just see the change. You see the smiles on the faces, you see them. And then when you do get to like the typical, more the, the weights of the traditional parts, just better because they're just more motivated and excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been guilty of it, you know, treating it so importantly, the data of it and the tracking of it that we've lost, you know, the fun of it, the innovation of it, the, the connection with, with the athletes and, and all the other things. Right. So we got to make it fun again in there and, and, and they have to be a big part of that process. Yeah, they gotta be, they gotta be, yeah. I think more coaches. That's just something that's so, so powerful. Uh, Scott, I think that's about all I know. Shoot. It'd probably take us again, three podcasts four to go through all the lanes and all the, yeah. I mean, I want to go through all the leadership tenets now, but I, 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 yeah. wish I had time. I want to go like, wait, what about this one? What about this? Yeah. One? Yeah. They're it's, fun. They're fun to learn. And and when you start recognizing them in every part of your life and other people's lives, that's when you can start playing with them and helping people and helping yourself. It's, it's pretty rewarding. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I'm excited to go through this list and kind of and continue yeah. to hopefully we can have these conversations, learn more from you. And I, I just think it's so important. So uh, I know that's about all the time that I have for today on the show. But thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the oh, time. Of course. On. It's, it's always my pleasure to talk with Joel. It's always fun. We always go down these, these areas that are meaningful to me. So yeah, it's great. That wraps up another show. Thanks for being here with us, everybody. If you enjoy what we're doing, the message of this show, the content, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to, to spread the message and, and the, the content that we're trying to get out there and help other people find it. Also, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They've been a longtime sponsor to this show, great supporters of what we are doing. So be sure to support them. They have an awesome blog and a really cool online store with uh, a really expansive uh, array of sport tech, data collection, uh, training tools, and a lot more. So be sure to check them out and support them. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Have a good one.